Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today about the emergence of coronavirus and what business continuity and disaster recovery executives need to know about this outbreak. I'm speaking today with Regina Phelps. She's the founder of Emergency Management and Safety Solutions. Regina, thank you so much for joining me today. It is such a great pleasure to be with you, Tom. Thank you so much. So, Regina, as we sit here this morning, as I look at the news, I see that we're attributing 560 deaths now to coronavirus, 28,000 infections, 25 different countries, and we're being accused by some in China of a panicked overreaction. So <laughs> tell me, what do we know today about the coronavirus outbreak? That's a really great question, and it's complicated, but let me just give you some sort of good news and bad news. The good news is actually that the disease, even though we do have 20, over 28,000 cases and over 565 deaths now, uh, the good news is, is that the fatality rate remains relatively low. It's around 2%. And just to give you a sense of a difference, SARS, for example, had a fatality rate of between 9 and 10%, and MERS, which is the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, has a fatality rate of around 34%. So the good news is it could be a lot worse. Uh, the bad news is, is this is highly infectious and many epidemiologists now are actually saying it's about as infectious as the flu. And so that means it's spreading rapidly. So you're seeing a large number of cases. The other little tiny piece of good news is in the last 24 hours, the straight diagonal line of case growth has actually petered out just a tiny, tiny bit. It was literally a straight vertical line going from January 19th to yesterday. And yesterday it sort of slowed a tiny bit. So perhaps the quarantines that have been happening in China have been effective. And I guess the other thing I would say to your listeners is that 99% of all the cases are in mainland China. So yes, there are cases, there's 45 cases in Japan and 28 cases in Singapore. Uh, and there are, again, as you mentioned, over 25 nations with actually reported cases. But the good news is on that perspective is it is not spreading rapidly outside of China. Regina, for business continuity and disaster recovery leaders outside of China, what specifically do they need to be concerned about? We've been counseling our clients for the last three weeks that they need to be very proactive about their actions and what they're doing. And there's a couple of things I would just say right off the top. If your listeners have not activated an assessment team, which is part of their crisis management team to make an overall assessment of the company, they need to do that now. And they need to really look at how this could impact the company, both in the short term, but frankly also in the long term. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I do hope that they have really taken seriously the travel bans to China, as well as really considering all the other adjoining countries and the region as to whether that type of travel is important and required at this particular time. Because you don't want to be in a situation where you're in an airport and you really don't know who you're sitting around, who you're sitting by, when you're on a plane, you don't know who's been to China or near China, and you don't know who they've had contact with. So your opportunity for infection grows kind of exponentially when you're in those type of travel environments. And then the third thing we would really have been asking all of our clients seriously to do is to really look at it as an opportunity to both do employee education, uh, which by the way, we're still in the flu season, so it's good to be doing that anyway. But things about good hand washing techniques, cough hygiene, 
making sure that if you're sick that you don't come to work, those kinds of things. How does this crisis compare so far to the impacts that we saw of SARS in 2003 and even H1N1 in 2009? So SARS was actually a, a disease that was present in the environment for about two years, came out of China, but it took you know over two years for them to assemble 8,000 cases of SARS. So it started rapidly and then it disappeared pretty quickly. And then there were random cases for a while, but it was over two years before they reached 8,000 cases. MERS has been going on since 2012, and again, it's another coronavirus, and it's actually, again, connected to bats uh, through the camel exposure at that point, and uh, it's been very slow moving, if you will. So since 2012, we only have 25 cases, but a 34% fatality. So very different behaviors. The pandemic we had in 2009, the H1N1, was very mild. And it was a pandemic indeed, but it did not kill many people um, globally. Uh, it infected a lot. Uh, and it was like a really bad flu season, but it wasn't terribly unusual. I think what happened with the 2009 pandemic is that it made everybody go back and relook at their infectious disease plans or pandemic plans. And we certainly, as people that have been writing pandemic plans since the year 2000, really went back and restructured our entire view of how you write a pandemic plan. And now we've really framed them into looking at infectious diseases and pandemics. Because frankly, Tom, your chances of having a case of measles or whooping cough or some other common illness in your business is actually pretty good because people are not necessarily uh, vaccinating their children. So we're seeing much more common illnesses than we ever have before reaching the business environment. Regina, if coronavirus were to rise to the level of a pandemic, what then would that trigger? So the, the thing I would just say is this, is that when, if we do reach a pandemic, it could be very much like it was in 2009. There were more people being sick. There were some impacts to business, but for the most part, it, it wasn't severe. If we continue on a 2% fatality rate or it drops even lower, I think what we would see is that we would not see a major impact in business. There would be more illnesses and there might be some uh, restrictions in travel and so on, but for the most part, I think it would be relatively mild. If, however, that fatality rate increases, then I think you would see a lot of widespread impact. The other thing that could happen, Tom, is if all of a sudden it comes into an area and everyone is sick, then you might really be, have a, an impact where if it suddenly dropped into a community, where you would have uh, difficulty in a business being able to function as it normally does. Regina, you brought up some issues I want to follow up with and get a little bit deeper. And one is about travel. What mm. should organizations be doing internally now to address business travel in and out of affected regions? Ideally, the crisis management program that you have at your company and tied to an infectious disease and pandemic plan that you hopefully have, what they should be doing is that at this point, there should be screening for all travel that's outside, that's outside the United States, specifically in Asia. And there should be a real question where managers would be asking the question, is this essential travel? Mission critical, essential travel. The reason for your visit can only be accomplished by a face-to-face -face meeting. And what we're encouraging our clients to do is that for people that need to go to China or to the outlying countries around them, so like South Korea and Vietnam and Thailand and so on, that they are really raising this up to a very senior 
person in the organization to approve the travel so that we all understand that this is important and critical. When that individual returns from that travel in that region, it's also very wise that they actually quarantine at home for 14 days. Because the last thing you would wanna do is have somebody go to, let's say Thailand or Vietnam, and they do become exposed. They come home, you know, and 10 days later, they, be they become ill and they actually have been in the office and now they could have potentially infected many others inside the office. So you'd want them to quarantine at home for 14 days. Regina, what supply chain concerns do you have if this is to grow and affect businesses, not just in China, but, but beyond the region? You stop and think about it. Just think about now all the products, in your, just even in your personal life, that actually come from China. There are so many things that we use every day that have connections back to China. So in your own personal life, but frankly in the business. We have several major clients of ours that are already having severe supply chain disruptions. And part of that is, is if you think about how businesses are organized now, it's very much a just-in-time kind of delivery system. So people don't have large amounts of supplies necessarily for products that they're making, for example, in manufacturing, and they're getting things constantly being shipped in. So I have several large uh, technology clients that are already suffering from major supply chain disruptions. I also have had clients that have had issues related to just even store closures like Starbucks and other major vendors. Nike's already advertised that they're going to be having a financial impact. And you'll see more and more of that as we go through in the next year. So I think what's happening is that when you look at the supply chain impacts, I would really ask all of your listeners to really talk to their purchasing departments and ask the question, what do we buy? How critical is it? Where does it come from? And that, by the way, is not an easy answer many times because you may know what you buy, but you may not really know where it really comes from. You have to do often a lot of digging to find that out. But that's a really critical issue to think about. Regina, how do you respond to the criticism coming out of China that what we're seeing globally is a panicked overreaction to coronavirus? I saw that this morning in Bloomberg and I, I, I chuckled a little bit and I, you know, I kind of understand where they're coming from because, you know, the politics of the WHO, the World Health Organization, it's really a tough line that they walk. So, for example, when you issue a public emergency notification about a disease in a country, of course, the country is really upset because they know that that's going to impact them from a perspective of commerce and revenues and so on. But at the same time, we have to look at the overall global health and say that that's what needs to happen. And I think I think China's doing a lot of kind of blustering. And I, and I understand where they're coming from because, my gosh, the world has pretty much cut them off. There's very few airliners that are actually flying into China. Many, many, many countries have refused to take citizens from China into, the, into their country. And so there are these blockades that are being erected. And when you look at the spread of the disease, it would be hard for you as a country to, to say, I'd, I'm just going to go ahead and let these individuals into my nation. I think it would be in many cases irresponsible. So I understand the angst and the frustration that China feels, but I also understand from a public health situation that we need to be conscious and we need to be diligent. If we can actually be effective in stopping the virus, at least we'll be able to slow it down. But tied to that, Tom, the recent studies and epidemiological uh, surveys are now looking at this is very likely 
to become a pandemic, the way it's spread, its infectious rate. And so we may not be at that point now, but in the next month or two, we could be. Given the magic of social media, there's lots of news, lots of information, lots of misinformation and interpretations about coronavirus. What is your immediate advice to business continuity disaster recovery leaders about what they should be doing now? So first of all, and I want to really um, build off your comment about media. When you're doing a gathering of situational awareness, and situational awareness is simply defined as what's going on right now, is that you need to be highly sensitive to the information that you're receiving. And what you need to do is that you need to really look carefully at all information that you're thinking of producing and sending forward. So our general rule in our client population is that we want to always, always have at least two sources or three to validate any information. I don't pull anything off of social media without doing triple validation. There are so many crazy theories right now about the coronavirus. Anything from the CIA releasing the virus into the United States to things such as rats from level four labs in Wuhan being released, causing this particular outbreak and a zillion others. So you need to really be careful in your situational awareness. For what business continuity individuals should be doing at their company, what I would really say is I've got kind of 10 things that are on my shopping list for people to be doing right now. First of all, they, they should be working their infectious disease and pandemic plan. So hopefully they've got that in their hot hands. They're revising it and modifying it in real time. If they don't have one, they need one. The second thing is that they really need to be developing regular and very likely daily situation status reports for the crisis management team and the executive team so that there's a uniform piece of information that everybody is using to make decisions about. And if you're looking for a sample or an idea of what a good SITSTAT report looks like, I would direct your attention to the WHO website. They actually have done a lot of work to turn their current SITSTAT report into really a fine document. And it's a great template to consider when you're actually looking at what you would do yourself. The third thing is you've got to be looking at your supply chains and many companies are acutely doing that already and many might be sitting back thinking, well, you know, it's not going to really impact us at all. I would not be so sure. Try and find a mask any, anywhere in the United States right now. Try and find gloves. Um, just basic things uh, are almost impossible to find and that could happen to you as well in other parts of your company. The fourth thing I would say to you is I would really encourage you to be communicating with your key stakeholders about what your plans are and what's going on with you. You certainly want to be communicating with your employees, but also you should be ready from an investor relations perspective to your key customers to talk about what your status is and what's going on. Many of my clients are being approached as a third party vendor, for example, to understand what's going on with their response or what kind of impact are they having. So that should be something there should be standard talking points that everybody should be using to talk about the same thing going on so you don't have miscommunication. So the communication to your stakeholders is super important. Uh, the fifth thing I would say is that you should really be educating your employees on what I would call smart health habits. I mentioned that earlier, and hopefully you're doing it anyway because it is flu season, so good hand washing, cough hygiene, and really telling people to stay home when they're sick. Uh, number six would be marketing the importance of your company emergency notification system. Hopefully you have an emergency notification system, but that is only as effective as the information that's in it. So an emergency notification system, as you know, can be used to send out emergency messages to your employees with a flick of a switch and, and contact everybody simultaneously. But of course, it's only as good as the contact information that you have. 
And if it's not reliable or accurate, then it's a problem. So you want to make sure that that's really a refreshed. On my list, I would say number seven is you should be pulling out your BIAs and your business continuity plans, so your business impact analysis and your business continuity plans. And I would look through everything through the lens of an infectious disease. What are the potential impacts? And many times business continuity plans are really not written for something like a large number of people not being able to come to work or not able to work. Number eight on my list is I would really encourage you to reach out to all your critical third-party vendors. Uh, it is super common now around the world that everybody is very reliant on other uh, companies to provide services for them. And what's going on with them? And what kind of plans do they have in place? And what's going on for, with their perspective of this disease outbreak? If your third-party vendor is critically impacted, uh, that could be a huge issue for you. And so do not be flat-footed. I'd be reaching out to all of them right now. Number nine, you should inventory your, uh, uh, do an inventory of your personal protective equipment. Mask, gloves, hand sanitizers, first aid supplies. Really hard to get masks. Really hard to get gloves right now in the U.S. And there's a reason for that. Not only are people panicked and everybody buying them, but guess where they all come from? Yes, China. I think 90% of all the masks made are made in China now. And then lastly, number 10, I would really encourage all of your uh, information security professionals to really increase your, your screening. There are a ton of new scamming and new hacker efforts now using the virus actually as a way to build off people's anxieties. There's fake websites, there's phishing emails about more information on the coronavirus, there's all kinds of hoaxes. And I've had some of my uh, CISO buddies say to me that that's become a problem because people are uh, building off the anxieties that we all have. And so um, again, you know, hackers and scammers uh, look in the news and they're just as smart like anybody else and, and they should, um, and they try and take an opportunity and, and work it. So those are 10 things I would recommend all your folks to do right now. Excellent. Regina, terrific points. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Tom. Again, we've been talking about coronavirus. I've been speaking with Regina Phelps, the founder of Emergency Management and Safety Solutions. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.